the Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to episode 100 of the Numinous Podcast. Hooray! <laughs> we are celebrating this with, well, some bubble to begin with. We've got a nice bottle of Paul Roger Brut here. And this episode is going to be Ruben and I uh, doing a bit of reminiscing, going through my favorite episodes, fan favorite episodes, and pairing them with cocktails. Cheers to 100. Cheers to 100. There's already so stories we so many stories we could tell. We can talk about these glasses. We can talk about Paul Roger. Mm-hmm. We could talk about. Let's start with uh, Carmen Spaniola. Uh, did you ever imagine in your life ever that you would make 100 podcast episodes? No, I am a great starter and a terrible finisher. Not that I'm finishing at 100, but mm-hmm. I just mean that I. Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, when I started the podcast, it was weekly, and I didn't think it would be that hard to get to 100. Mm. Uh, Mark Marin does it, mm-hmm. you know. And then uh, over the last few years, I've become steadily more and more embittered uh, <laughs> that people who get paid by huge advertisers or who have, uh, you know, illustrious public broadcasters and radio stations behind them, that they call themselves podcasts. Uh. Yeah. They have like teams. Right. They have story arc writers. They have, anyway. When really they're just an unscheduled radio show. Exactly. Precisely. So, you know, as far as actually being a podcast, somebody, you know, doing this kind of in in the office Mm -hmm. while the, you know, guy next door is weed whacking and while my family is being loud with the pots and pans, you know, like that's real podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of feel like I've been in the trenches for a while now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm extra proud of myself. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is actually quite an achievement. Um, mm-hmm. I moved away from Weekly and started uh, releasing batches like Netflix. Mm-hmm. So people could just sort of binge and, and you know, enjoy it mm-hmm. that way. And then that, that means that I can create the way I like to create, which is in fits and spurts. Mm-hmm. Binge until you feel sick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I work too. Mm-hmm. So this episode is a little like um, a little like a Casey Kasem's uh, top twenty countdown mm-hmm. meets Drunk History because mm. we're going to talk about the last four years of doing the show. Mm-hmm. And I asked uh, some hardcore listeners, put it out there on social media, what are your favorite episodes? Um, I got to choose mm-hmm. in the end. Mm-hmm. which episodes are going to be paired with mm-hmm. cocktails today. I did not choose any episodes that solely feature me. <laughs> That's kind of the one place where fans and I disagree. Uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just thinking maybe I'll stand up and let the cat outside. Otherwise, we're going to hear plaintive meows and uh, scratching the, the whole door. rest of the time. The so um, we downed our first little bit of champagne pretty quick there. Mine was a very little bit. Well, we have quite a few episodes to go here. So, the first favorite is a personal favorite. It's actually a very recent episode. 
And it's episode 93, Queer Nature with Pinar and So. Mm-hmm. I love those folks. <laughs> I love them so much. And so I have chosen this lovely white wine, mm-hmm. Butari's Moscofilero. The reason I chose this very summery white wine from Greece is to honor the uh, Turkish and uh, Greek heritage mm-hmm. and the shepherding, mm-hmm. ancestral shepherding lineage mm-hmm. uh, that Pinar and So have. So, um, Moscow Filaro is the type of grape. I love this wine. I don't have to be eating Greek food. It just mm-hmm. has to be, a, you know, it could be a sunny day, it could be a slightly overcast day, it could be nighttime. <laughs> I love this wine. It's fantastic. Uh, isn't this the wine that um, it's it's haunted or it's uh, the doesn't the name mean? No, like that was a, a different Assyrtiko. As, no, yeah. Assyrtiko, I thought is another grape. Is but, another grape. So these are all from Butari. We actually, this is the one time that I actually tried hard to win a trip when I was a wine rep, because um, usually, you know, they have all these uh, contests for sales reps to like compete against each other to try to win a trip to go to a winery, but your manager comes with you and your like teammates, your, your colleagues. So. Uh, if John Pilly is listening, he was a fabulous manager. She's that, that's not who she's talking about. No, exactly. John Pilly <laughs> is excluded from that. Um, however, while working under John Pilly, I actually tried really hard to win this trip and I won. <laughs> and it's so funny because, uh, the reason that I tried really hard was it was the first promo trip where you could take your partner you could take a friend Mm -hmm. and i was like yeah i want to go with my husband to greece and uh i took all my wines around to all these greek restaurants trying to get placements and at first they're all like "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, no thank you (laughs) they were all stuck with their traditional brands and i wanted to go so bad that i went back like a month later and i just kept making appointments everybody and i would say i understand all of your points I'm wondering, though, even still, if you would just reconsider. And I told them, because I would love to go to Greece. I want to see these places. And then what was wonderful about Butari was all the winemakers we met were women in their 30s. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Amazing. Well, and another thing that was wonderful, there, that whole trip was wonderful. Um, mind-boggling in so many ways. But something that was quite amazing is that Butari has been like gene sequencing the grapes or something they use. So they're really into uh, Greek, ancient Greek varietals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've they found grape DNA that they're still using that is 10,000 years old, if, mm-hmm. I, if I recall the trivia correctly. Yeah, and this was so. the trip also where I'm sure I like fell into some weird time-space continuum <laughs> at uh, yeah. the ruins at Knossos <laughs> on Crete. Yeah. Man, I, I was... I was time traveling, man. I, I felt ill. That Not was... the last time ruins have sent you into a spin. That's true. Yeah, there's been a lot of mm-hmm. time gaps mm-hmm. happening in France, too. Anyway, we're getting off topic, but this is about Pinar and So. I thought this whole thing was one giant off topic. <laughs> it's kind of one giant off topic. I, I, but I wanted to, I was trying to think, like, if I wanted to drink with them, because mm-hmm. we had said, like, we, we should, we, I'd love to drink beer mm-hmm. with those folks. Mm-hmm. And, um, but if I were actually going to do some kind of honoring, I was I was kind of racking my brain for a bit. What mm-hmm. would I 
what would I want to serve? But mm. I could listen to their episode again and again and drink bottles of Greek wine as I do. Mm-hmm. That would be a wonderful uh, amount. That would be a wonderful time spent. That would be loafing intelligently, mm-hmm. and I would love that. It's interesting that you talk about the uh, the time warp or time space warp that you fell into uh, in the ruins of Knossos, because I, I feel like that's something that can be said about many of these episodes that you're featuring today is that you listen to it and kind of walk away feeling dizzy and discombobulated Mm. because there are, you know, so many of these people have really like, just like they, they pull you into a different way of seeing. Oh yeah. That is incredible. This episode where I asked, what identities do you lead with? Mm-hmm. And Pinar was like, well, I identify as, you know, Chinese and, and um, you know, all, all of their background. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, and with Creek and riparian ecosystems. Mm-hmm. I was like, um, can you just say more about that? Yeah, <laughs> mind blown. Yeah, it was fantastic. And yeah. also in the kind of way that you feel happy mm-hmm. and excited mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's just pulled you into this like expanded way of being in the world that's mm-hmm. like... I, I could say I identify with mountain like that. You know, I can wax poetic about it, but it's another thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of my identity. Oh, I just, I kind of really fell in love. And mm-hmm. so is a fantastic writer mm-hmm. and has written some really excellent essays. Mm-hmm. Um, and one in particular on tracking mm-hmm. and trailing, which I think is an a phenomenal compliment Mm. so anybody who liked that episode um you know hit me up because there's an (laughs) essay um maybe i'll link to it in their show notes i'll have to circle back around to it but Mm -hmm. fantastic article so uh i have this list of episodes i wanted to reminisce about Mm -hmm. and i had to end up clustering some of them uh with one cocktail because i can't drink like 15 cocktails in a night. I know you could. Why didn't we split this up into two episodes then? Because <laughs> that would just be Wednesday night at our house and we wanted to do something special. Um, so I'm, I'm going to move us on now. Okay. And we're going to have to move over. Let's, uh, we should have martini glasses for this. But we'll just, we'll use what we've got here. So there's a cluster of interviews that uh, I was super freaked out about. Mm-hmm. We're just like walking into the kitchen now. This is live, folks. That's right. And so we're, we're, we're moving around the house now. I am actually the microphone stand here. So the problem with that is that I can't fetch you martini glasses or anything else. That's okay. We're going to use these glasses. These were great. Uh, so... The next episodes that I want to highlight, I'm, I'm calling them by their group. Mm-hmm. It's episodes 73, 55, 54, 51, 49. And this group is called Women of Towering Intellect and Elegant Articulation. <laughs> okay, so it's Charlene Spretnak, uh-huh. uh, uh, Nicole Foss, mm-hmm. and Carolyn Baker. Mm-hmm. So the cocktail, let's go through the cocktail first because okay. I could talk forever about their, their shows. It's called the Nomayo. Mm-hmm. This is a uh, Saint-Germain Aperol lemon juice champagne 
mm -hmm. combination here. So I'm going to start with one part Saint Germain, which is the elderflower liqueur. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to mix that with a half part of Aperol. These are going to be, I think, kind of strong here, love. I know you're up to it, but let's pace ourselves. No, let's just split it. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, but I already poured a second. Well, here we go. Okay. And now, oh, Aperol. After the half part of Aperol, we're going to do a half part of lemon juice. And then we will top that with a float of champagne. Unfortunately, we have this beautiful bottle of Paul Roger here. Um, I also... Which I capsule prematurely. Yeah, we've got two more drinks that are mm -hmm. going to be topped with bubble, actually. I love St. Germain. We, we, this St. Germain has been quite a hit on retreats as well. Mm -hmm. Remember uh, on the intuitive development retreat, we did um, St. Rita's? Mm -hmm. St. Germain and tequila and lime. It mm -hmm. was uh, margarita, but with St. Germain in it. Mm -hmm. So good. Okay, let's go sit back down and talk about women of towering intellect. I was pretty nervous about each and every one of those episodes. Yeah, do you want to do you want to maybe talk about each of them about how much they uh... Oh my god, no. I want to talk about how good this cocktail is. She literally will not let go of the glass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "Wait a second, and it's a beautiful color. It's sort of this coral color." Mhm. Mm. Mm. Uh -huh. It's actually about it's slightly more pink than an orange Mr. Freezy. That's so right. I'm inviting you to imagine this frozen. Oh my long. goodness. And it's so good. It's floral and a little bit digestif. Mm. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. We might have to design a retreat just for more cocktails. It tastes, it's not unlike a Campari and orange. But with the elderflower. Campari orange mimosa. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's all the things. It's so good. Mm -hmm. It's very elegant. It's absolutely elegant. It is absolutely up to the task of celebrating and honoring women of towering intellect. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I think the first that I invited on might have been Nicole Foss. Mm -hmm. She has gone by the uh, pseudonym Stonely online at a website called The Automatic Earth. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will say this, the number one most downloaded episode of all time of the Newman's podcast is her episode she has two mm -hmm. uh how to build a lifeboat mm -hmm. so it seems that economic anxiety really sells <laughs> yes uh yeah she's she's yeah I, again like a, she blows your mind like pulls you into a different way of seeing and kind of like busts all the paradigms of how we think about an economy how we think about money and how we think about value and wealth and just an incredible thinker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so an she's an writer. energy analyst. Mm -hmm. She is uh, kind of a, yeah, she's like talking about peak oil. She's talking about economy mm -hmm. and um, historic uh, crashes and mm -hmm. um, lots of uh, uh, studying of sociology and hurting behavior. So, mm -hmm. you know. And one of these people that has, like she has like two doctorates or something like that. It's the sort of thing where she goes to university to get another degree 
and can just take a few more courses on the side and get another degree along with it sort of thing. Like just an amazing scholar. Yeah, a real polymath too in just so many areas Mm -hmm. and and is able to have kind of this syncretic approach. You know, she's able to synthesize a lot of different fields Mm -hmm. into something that seems very coherent. And Mm -hmm. then after you dive into her worldview, you're like, um, I just don't think I can inhabit my life in the same way anymore. Yeah, it sure makes it hard to get excited about real estate. (laughs) That's true. And you know, that episode was so great. Well, she has two, and I think it was How to Build a Lifeboat, where I asked a question for my friend Sarah, Mm -hmm. um, who ended up, she and Ryan followed Mm -hmm. Nicole's advice pretty much Mm. on what to do with their real estate and... uh, yeah, so Nicole, if you're interested at all in kind of, um, what would you say? It's not quite doomsday prepping, mm-hmm. but it is like if you're coming to a co- apocalypse camp with us mm-hmm. this fall at Hollyhock, um, that's a good episode to listen to first. Mm-hmm. It's I, like, what are the kind of, what, how many does she have? How many steps and how to build a lifeboat? Seven or 10? Or 12 or something? Uh, or 40? Uh, no, this is like a, the top 10 kind of thing. In the primer? In the yeah, in okay. the primer, yeah. yeah. And so she's talking about how to prepare mm-hmm. for converging emergencies of economic, social, and environmental collapse. Mm-hmm. I, I called the automatic earth the econ-apocalypse blog. Econ-apocalypse, that's right. Yeah. Um, and Stonely, as Carmen was saying, uh, she was like a energy researcher for the Ontario government or something like that. Like she was making, studying and making recommendations on the grid and on renewable energy uh, and was a Canadian editor along with her writing partner, Alargi, I believe, um, of the Canadian version of the oil drum, which was a huge peak oil uh, resource page. And then their analysis was that the economic forces were going to be hitting us faster and harder Mm -hmm. than uh, peak oil would. And mm-hmm. so they shifted their focus on to uh, analyzing the economy and how we should prepare for that. And that bore out. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Very much. 2008. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Also in this cluster then is Carolyn Baker, mm-hmm. who wrote a book called uh, Conscious Collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, and also another book called Love in the Age of Apocalypse. So I have two mm-hmm. episodes with her. And um, this Ecological one, Apocalypse, I think it's called. Is that what I said? Uh, you said Love in the Age of Apocalypse, I think. Oh, it's yeah. Economic ec- Apocalypse, yeah. Ecological. Ecological. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Thank <laughs> you. I'm already three drinks in here. Um, however. It's only going to get better, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. More unintelligible. Um, okay. I'm three drinks in, so I'm going to. I'm just going to tell people because I don't think Carolyn Baker is going to listen to this one. This is when we announced that it's actually going to be Ruben taking over the podcast from now on because Carmen is drunk. <laughs> Carmen is lost. No. So I was super excited mm-hmm. because I emailed Carolyn and mm-hmm. was like, hey, I would love to have you come on my show mm-hmm. and talk about um, Collapsing Consciously, your book, uh, which is kind of like daily practices and meditations and um, that kind of stuff. Mm. Oh, actually, I might be conflating that with the second book she has. Okay. Anyway, she has a whole (laughs) body of work around collapsing consciously. And she emailed me back. She responded in like five minutes. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, this person that I've followed for some time now, Mm -hmm. whose books I really enjoyed, who seems like really, I mean, well beyond arm's length. Is she the one we went to see speak in North Van years and years ago? Like when we were first dating? I, she might have been. No, I don't think so. That woman, anyway. 
but in the same kind of genre. Yeah. We went, that, that, those were our first dates, going to Econ Apocalypse <laughs> talks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So cute. Anyway, okay, <laughs> we're meant to be together. So I, she was the first person who wanted prompt questions mm. beforehand. And yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's maybe a good idea. Like have a structure <laughs> for your conversation. So I, I sent them along and could tell pretty quick. And oh, and she also said, would you like a copy of my forthcoming book? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is the mm-hmm. first manuscript? Like, hells yeah. And so she <laughs> sent it to me and I was like feeling pretty special. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, this has definitely got to be two different um uh, episodes and also then I had to speed read her book mm. right so I felt very Oprah book club like <laughs> oh I've got to get through this so I sound like I know what I'm talking about and then I could see in her glasses we were like meeting over video conference I could mm-hmm. see the reflection of her computer screen was that mm-hmm. she had typed out all her answers oh. yeah. and so then it was awkward because mm. she kind of read uh-huh. her answers and I tried to like throw some curveballs right. by asking the questions a little differently and yeah, asking some yeah. follow-ups but she kind of kept I could just tell that was not really her jam right. so that was kind of weird mm-hmm. uh however educational I, for a very, beginning podcaster absolutely very educational from uh developing your interviewing chops Mm -hmm. so instead of sending like full questions now I kind of say these are prompts and I I kind of go it'll be about this kind of topic Mm -hmm. so I don't sort of ask as directly as I used to nonetheless this is in your top 10 or how many are we doing nonetheless because she just had such great content Mm -hmm. then the last towering intellect just Mm -hmm. a woman who's Fast knowledge mm-hmm. and just pretty sweeping body of work. And again, the resume. So, mm-hmm. okay, so you're an author, you're a feminist, you've written some beautifully um, uh, strong defenses of uh, other feminist scholars like Maria Gimbutas. She's, mm-hmm. you know, Charlene Spretnak. She's in the journey, Journal of Archaeomythology. Mm-hmm. I think it was Socio Archaeomythology or something like that. She wrote this defense of all the kind of pylon and backlash that came on Maria Gambutis, who mm. um, uh, basically discovered that uh, the ancient cultures of um, Co- uh, Cucatani and those places were um, matrilineal mm. or at least um, matrifocal, mm. meaning egalitarian, mm-hmm. not necessarily um, you know female dominant, but mm-hmm. egalitarian societies. Anyway, fantastic. So I asked Charlene Spretnak to come on the show because I'd read Lost Goddesses of Early Europe. I'd done a talk, episode, I think, 67, Learning Sea in the Dark. Mm. It's somewhere in there. It might not be 67. Anyway, she agreed to come on and um, told some great stories. But also, kind of partway through, I was like, oh, oh, I think our feminism is starting to diverge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, very strong second wave feminist. Mm. And this was really important for me because um, I am kind of a blend of like radical feminism mm-hmm. and and also I believe very strongly in intersectionality. And um, so I want to honor my elders mm-hmm. in second wave feminism and I still I love the shoulders of giants yeah I'm on the shoulders of giants here I got to speak with Charlene Spratnack and when we were not recording you know what mm-hmm. she said to me she said 
I was a very interesting woman. <laughs> I thought, well, <laughs> uh, what's that quote by Tolkien? Praise from the praiseworthy is beyond all reward. <laughs> so if Charlene Spretnack tells you you're interesting, <laughs> I can fucking lay it all down now. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> Nothing but growing roses from here on. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, I don't want that cocktail to end. Uh-huh. Okay, except um, now. Sorry, go ahead. I, is it <coughs> is it Charlene Spretnak or Maria Gombutas that wrote so much about the um, earlier versions of the classic myths? Oh, that's Charlene Spretnak. Okay. Yeah, her her book uh, Lost Goddesses of Early Greece, mm-hmm. um, and it's the pre-Hellenic uh, mythologies. She wrote that book mm-hmm. in the seventies, mind you. Seventy-eight. I was mm. like three. Yeah, fantastic book. And, and when you were like, reading it, you were just, you oh. could not believe it. You couldn't lay it down. Yeah, it's a really tiny book. Mm. Um, and really, the the only one of the ancient myths, the, the Greek myths, that has any kind of really like plot-driven narrative mm. is the myth of Demeter and Persephone, mm. which absolutely captivated me because, of course, the in the the olympian version it's the rape of persephone Mm -hmm. and uh wow to go back to the the pre-olympian pre-patriarchal version Mm -hmm. again like blew my mind but also felt so good Mm -hmm. it's like you hear information and you can feel a biological rightness in your body Mm -hmm. and you're like ah that's gotta be right Mm -hmm. it just felt emancipating hmm. to read that of course most of the other myths are um as my friend holly would say uh pre-patriarchal greek myths mm-hmm. basically go like this so nature <laughs> and scene like that's like <laughs> kind of like it's a version of some earth-born goddess mm-hmm. who you know gives you the good the bad and the ugly teaches you how to use it, tells you to be careful, um, and that's pretty much it. Hmm. But they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. They were just, um, yeah, I highly recommend that book. Uh, the next episode, I should probably just let people know. Mm-hmm. The way I'm organizing this is not by episode number. Mm-hmm. It's uh, by, by cocktail flight. Uh-huh. So we're kind of going... Uh, light mm-hmm. to richer, okay. You know, richer in texture, higher alcohol content as we move along, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna end on a bit of a cleanser. All right. Okay. So it's okay. like it's a whole journey okay. here. I'm, I am noticing I'm a little burpy, which is <laughs> <laughs> gonna be a little bit of an interruption. So, uh, Numinous Podcast, uh, this next episode and drink mm-hmm. are. So I'm calling it the Tiffany. Okay. Because my next favorite episode is uh, called, I think it's called On Land, Language, and Everything Important (laughs) with Tiffany Joseph. Uh And so I wanted to create a cocktail that would be as local or as Mm. plant-based, land-based, as gathered as possible. Mm. So... uh, why don't I grab the recipe and you follow me over to the okay. bar here, Ruben? All right. I'm getting alarmed that you're putting ice in two glasses since well, we're. Well, this one is is uh, 
This one's pretty low alcohol. So the first thing that's gonna happen is I have made a violet simple syrup, mm. um, macerated some violets from our yard, mm -hmm. and uh, boiled that up with a bit of sugar. Violet syrup is a beautiful blue color until you add any kind of acid to it. Mm -hmm. So enjoy this beautiful blue indigo color. It's about to become fuchsia mm. because after this uh, tablespoon of violet syrup, I'm going to add a splash of lemon juice. Just want to heighten this up a little bit. These are in um, short rocks glasses. So it's a drop of this, a drop of that. Now I'm also going to do a drop of rose water. Now, had this been the right season, I of course would have made rose water tincture mm -hmm. from my own heirloom roses, which I will say, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about it lately, working on this with my mentor and clinical supervisor, Patty, a couple times, or at least once, and um, talk to some people who are herbalists you know, foragers, plant ancestral medicine folks. And the idea of actually being really in a relationship with a plant speaks to me very strongly. When I think about my ancestor tree, mm -hmm. uh, the ash tree in our backyard, and when I think about roses, mm -hmm. they make me weep. Mm -hmm. Not just in a frustrated way, because sometimes they frustrate me, but mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I love them so. Mm -hmm. And the medicine is so good for me. It's what I, it's my go-to for almost everything. Not because roses are always indicated mm -hmm. in every situation, but because my relationship with them is so special mm -hmm. and dear to me. So, uh, violet syrup, rose water, a splash of elderflower, a splash of lemon, and then we're gonna top it with our very own homemade dry apple cider, which we press. Okay. So how is it, Ruben? It's delicious, as you say. It's light and refreshing. Um, uh, the elderflower really comes through. Mm-hmm. It's quite gentle, mm -hmm. like Tiffany. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, she is gentle, but man, she has a core of steel. Yeah. Talk about uh, a force of nature. Mm -hmm. You know, she's. Uh, yeah, she's a strong tree, or she's, you know, a, mm -hmm. a, a bog log. She's just, like, enduring and yeah. uh, grounded. She's right at the water table all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and like Pinar, and and so... It's so interesting, of course, because these are all um, indigenous women. Um, yeah, that you can, you can feel her being closer to nature in a way that I can't feel in my own body. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful to spend time with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had the opportunity to uh, hear Tiffany offer territorial acknowledgement a few times. And, you know, she's uh, done my astrology chart. I still mm -hmm. want to have her on uh, the show to do some astrological thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe at the end of 2018, we'll like do something to, mm. she can tell us what some of the transits are in 2019 or something <laughs> like that. Um, I met Tiffany at a language revitalization workshop mm -hmm. and it was about learning techniques of language revitalization, not specifically learning um, a particular language itself. Mm -hmm. However, 
Tiffany is one of those people with a certain kind of facility for language. Mm -hmm. Great memory, great demeanor, has the approach and warmth Mm -hmm. and loving kindness, you know, that can make you feel really encouraged Mm -hmm. about um, that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And one of the most arresting moments, and I, I mean this in a great way, even though it was my heart felt like it was in a vice when it happened (laughs) was in the interview with her. We were like in a side room at lunchtime at the workshop doing Mm -hmm. this interview, Mm -hmm. episode 69. And I said something about how can settlers support language revitalization? And she said, you know, looking me in the eye, she said, so basically you want me to tell you how to treat me well. It gets me this time too. Because that's really what that question is, right? Mm. Teach me how to treat you well. Mm -hmm. It was like the most poignant response Mm -hmm. to a question. And it was both uh, touching and beautiful Mm -hmm. in its honesty and its compassion, the way she delivered her response. And also painful, Mm. you know, I felt very exposed as a settler who feels shame about Mm. um, what my ancestors have done and Mm. what I have done and the things that I blindly and ignorantly sometimes perpetuate and Mm -hmm. uh, all the ways in which I would like to be better just felt very exposed in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I had already been living with that question for a couple of years. How do I honor ancestors who weren't very honorable? Mm-hmm. And kind of came, the best I could come up with was the 94 recommendations of the Truth and Reconciliation <laughs> Commission. It's like, okay, so start at the top or wherever you want, work your way through. That's how you honor them, right? Is mm-hmm. through repair and um, making things right. But that was a just a touching and refreshing moment mm-hmm. that I really I cherish. You know, that's one of the opportunities of having a creative outlet like a podcast like this. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's next in the agenda here, Carmen? We've got a lot of beverage ahead of us uh, in this. Carmen called them low rocks glasses, I think. But really, what they are is a fecund round. <laughs> hand filling it's ball a fulsome tumbler with uh, with a beautiful mercury silver lip and furthermore we um we haven't seen these glasses in three years we uh, just have had them return to our lives because we thought we'd lost them in the move we'd, we'd finally just given up hope on ever seeing them again and then we found them in the crawl space and then we found them in the crawl space uh yeah so we've actually we hadn't been having hard alcohol cocktail hour for quite some time until Mm -hmm. we found these glasses a couple months ago (laughs) and now we're like yes (laughs) so we only have um four more drinks to go yeah we're just we're trucking along okay yeah this is like a really this is like a palate cleanser Mm. this is an intermezzo Mm -hmm. Um, but i'm almost done mine i could Mm. probably uh just through the magic of podcasting, uh-huh. I bet you I could go over and uh, start the next one. Yeah. That is the magic of podcasting, this gentleman, <laughs> because her glass is nowhere near him. <laughs> but it's going to be. Okay. So the next one 
is called the Druid. Uh, Can you imagine why? Who would even know a Druid in this day and age anyway? Yeah, Druids don't even exist. Yeah, it's I fake news. Do. Yeah. So, uh, numerous podcast episodes, 44, 59, 90, 96, and 99, <laughs> all feature the one, the only, John Michael Greer, mm-hmm. former Grand Arch Druid of the Arch Druid of yeah. North America or something. American like Order of American Druids Order in America. Of, yeah, man. We're, we're in it. Nobody... <laughs> You're going to have to take over for a second because my belly's poochy. <laughs> uh, well, Carmen, so you just listed five episodes with John Michael Weir in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, another towering intellect, I would say. And again, uh, another person who has come um, through the peak oil scene. Mm-hmm. Um, though he is now in, a, in an amazing uh, travesty of modern internet ship. He's... Uh, Closed down his blog. Yeah, but and then somebody like sponsored to have it. It like people were, I think, quite distressed yeah, about no, that. I, I was quite distressed. It broke, broke broke half the links on my on my website. Yeah. Um, yeah. He closed down his blog, and he was just like, "Okay, my work here is done. I'm actually going to print this blog as books, and you can check them out of the library." Um, what are you looking for? Oh, I was looking for the bourbon. The bourbon. I got it now. Um, I will say this. Uh, thanks to the magic of the podcast, mm-hmm. we can imagine that this is actually Buffalo Trace bourbon. Uh-huh, right. We're not going to say what kind of bourbon it really is, mm-hmm. but everybody, if you were going to make the Druid cocktail, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I should just, since I'm talking, okay. one part bourbon, mm-hmm. half a part lemon, a splash of maple syrup, and then drop it, uh, sorry, <laughs> top it with dry apple cider. <laughs> And it's a little bit like, uh, it's kind of like a bourbon sour, uh-huh. but a little spritzy. Huh. Uh, your mise en place is not complete here uh, because you don't have any maple syrup ready. No, yeah, I'm going to have to grab that. And I, I can't help because I'm holding a microphone. Yeah, it's all good. But you could talk about uh, the Arch Druid. We, I guess he doesn't like us to call him that anymore because he stepped down from being the uh, Arch, the Arch Druid. Druid. Now he is merely a Druid, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the former Arch Druid, we can call him. Uh, or we could just call him John Michael Greer. Yeah, John. Um, We're on a first name basis now. Yeah. He, he actually true. goes by the name John. He, yeah, yes. exactly. He doesn't just go by JMG, yeah. which those of us online call him. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I will say this. Uh-huh. I'm kind of cock-blocking you with JMG because <laughs> you totally brought him into our lives. The uh-huh. first book he recommended was The Long Descent. Mm-hmm. Again, if you're coming to Apocalypse Camp with us at Hollyhock, mm-hmm. that's going to be recommended reading. But yeah. also his other book, Mystery Teachings of the Living Earth, mm-hmm. which I think is like episode 44. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you were all like on the Archdruid Report, the Well of Galabies, which is his like yeah. magic blog. You were like sending me stuff all the time, and I'd be yeah. like, mm, "Yeah, this guy's good." And then I read I was, everyone. So I, I found him. I don't know, maybe in two thousand four or five. Uh, and as soon as I found his blog, I was like, "Whoa, this is mind blowing!" And so then I went back to the beginning of his blog and started reading from the very beginning. And then somewhere in there, I also just started reading every single one of the comments. You're his number one fan. I am pretty much. And he's actually fan. said he likes your comments or something like that. Hmm. He said some nice things to you That's in nice. the comments, I think. Yeah. Um, I, he did actually credit me in one of his uh, in one of his uh, articles because I introduced the 
phrase peak meaninglessness <laughs> that's right yeah. yeah that's true you so, have been mentioned yeah which, which i have not which was a, a chest swelling moment for me <laughs> it really was uh and then i go and be like hey i should have him on my show yeah. and it turns out he's a total press hog yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i shouldn't say that he's, he's, he's like skilled hard, at, he, well yeah. he's been on hundreds of uh-huh. podcasts and and radio shows and that kind of stuff because that's what he is. He's an author. He has mm-hmm. written like over 40 books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he's on the Asperger's kind of, or the autism spectrum. So mm-hmm. that's what I chalk that up to so that I don't feel yeah, like a useless piece of crap. To, uh... Yeah, he can just produce. Uh-huh. Uh, and so he's got to sell these books. Yeah. And so. And he does tend to write in fairly niche markets. Like I was just uh, saying to Carmen that she should interview him about his recent translation of a. I think medieval French fencing textbook, uh, That's right. <laughs> which you which know, so I will not, there aren't that many people that can translate medieval French. Him. So good let alone are also druids. <laughs> let alone. Okay, so this actually I think should be. Sh- oh, I can't shake it now because I put. Um, put the bub- the bubble. I put a bit of bubble in it, yeah, but just I just stir it with your finger again. I'm gonna stir it with my finger. Because we're at home. Mm-hmm. It just, I needed it a little uh, sweeter. Through the magic of podcasting, the audience will be aware that you are stirring it with a solid gold swizzle stick. That's right. Mm, have a drink of that. So, remember, this is the Druid. Mm-hmm. And so, it's earthy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of got that oaky. Mm-hmm. This is what I wanted with the bourbon, yeah. right? Bit of that smoked woodsy flavor to mm-hmm. it. But also apple cider because mm-hmm. we collect... Hundreds of pounds, you collect hundreds of pounds mm-hmm. of apples and you made the press. Mm-hmm. Press, and it's it's really not even worth starting unless we've got four or five hundred pounds of apples. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you make, you know, multi-year supply of this very refreshing By dry apple cider. You well, mean you go less through it really fast. Yeah, but another family <laughs> yeah. would be able to last for some time. Yeah. Uh, and um, so, yeah, bourbon, lemon, maple syrup, and this mm-hmm. dry apple cider. Mm-hmm. It's kind of woodsy and lifted. It felt very druidish. Yeah, it's to me. delicious. All right, let's uh, sit down and drink. Okay. So, uh, yeah, he also talked about ritual and magic. Uh-huh. Um, he also talked about, oh, secrets of the temple, the secret of the temple. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to like that book because I was like, meh, Freemasons. But, you know, maybe I should like go into this. You know, sometimes I like I see his titles. They're very niche. And I think, well, that's kind of wankerish. But Mm -hmm. I should just go and like maybe there'll be something I either learn or I will discover that why Mm -hmm. I'm not really attracted to that. God damn it. That never happens. His books really appeal to the nerd in me. (laughs) They really do. Yeah. So I just recorded uh, episode 99 today. Mm. No. What am I talking about? I don't even know what day it is now because I'm five drinks in. <laughs> uh, was it yesterday? Was it the day before? It was It re- was not today, but it was very recently. <laughs> it was very recently. And It was uh, within this calendar month. <laughs> yeah, it was within this calendar month. <laughs> and it was about monsters. Uh-huh. So I thought, okay. He's going to do all the Western occult stuff, and it's going to be good, but I'm never going to be able to live up to that amount of sort of, that amount of like anal retentive perfection, you know, like constant 
why are you shaking your head? It's very prescriptive. Uh-huh. Um, but I still really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'm not going to like cherry pick, but I'm going to... Um, first of all, I'm going to undo my belt. Because... <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not going to cherry pick, but I am going to look for the principles and the techniques that are portable. Mm-hmm. Right? So that, like, I'm not going to do the rose cross every morning. I'm not going to do the lesser banishing p- ritual of the pentacle every morning. I don't know. No, that's not my thing. I'm very glad he does it, though. Because hmm. he's he's running in some interesting crowds. Mm-hmm. I got to say, the names he drops. But anyway. We did this thing on monsters. Once again, Mm. I was a total convert and a total (laughs) fan. And totally, it appealed to my nerd side and was like, "Mm, oh yeah, I should probably uh, bump up my protection a bit. But of course, I'm going to do it in a much more um, plant-based or... um, Not that he's not doing it in an earthy way, but instead of that kind of Western occult... Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, that mm-hmm. kind of, the, those kind of rituals, I'll probably do a little bit more. I'm going to connect with the elements mm-hmm. of our space, of our place, of our land, and ask them mm-hmm. what we should be doing to kind of bump up our, you know, more ongoing spiritual hygiene. You know what you should do? I, you should do this so then, then I have an excuse to do this. Um, because we are... Um, trying to expand our cultural connection like as we try to learn new things we're trying to do it in a way that is actually ancestral yeah like, we're trying to research and reclaim our mm-hmm. own um our own indigeneity in the cultures of our ancestors in the cultures of our past or deep past deep past yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, and so of course you have a good scottish history mm-hmm. and and I come from a long line of bastards that we yeah. don't know that history. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh, whereas my kind of, you know, I come from a whole bunch of English people and some Scandinavians, which is, uh, you know, maybe it's the winter, but I feel more at home with that sort of thing. Um, but something I've been really interested in from plant magic is there's this tradition of, uh, I think, from the southern United States, like Appalachia, of working hexes like with roots so you tie mm-hmm. kind of like elaborate knots mm-hmm. in roots and uh make i hexes think that's like southern conjuring stuff okay so did you read th- about it through jmg no that, he got big no. into that hmm. um so but since appalachia has so much scots irish mm-hmm. you could make a plausible connection and then and i'm I could, a hexy type and then i could piggyback on you because i yeah. think uh doing Root hexes sounds awesome. So uh, we know, though, about the law of them. Um, not reciprocity, but, you know, return mm-hmm. like the, what is it? You're going to send it out. It's going to come back it's to you. So, you have to be. Yeah. so how do you personally feel about a hexes, Ruben Anderson? Uh, well, I think the um, uh, JMG talks about that as like he was, he recently wrote about it where people are trying to, uh, curse Trump Trump. Mm -hmm. and so he's saying like you are sending a big negative wave out into the universe and that negative wave is going to keep rolling around rolling right back over you Um, whereas I think a lot more of the uh, the 
root work would be done like to protect your house so it would be mm-hmm. something that would be hanging over the door or you know, you know what we've got for that well you know what a lot of white people can do for that is uh, the ancient ancient roman tablet uh i don't have the word i've lost it <laughs> anyway they the would, show notes are gonna be fantastic they're gonna folks. be great but <laughs> yeah they would write on a piece of metal uh, you know, this is who, you know, or I want to draw into my life uh, a lover or a partner, or I want to curse this other person. Mm. And they would write it on metal and then they would bury it. Mm. <clears throat> and so they've actually found caches of, you know, upwards of 1500 of these mm. Roman prayer tablets, mm. um, which were, you know, similar to writing things and putting them in the ground or root work or what have you. It's like kind of the same principles. Again, this is why I like JMG because he's uh, very good at finding cross-cultural examples Mm -hmm. of these sort of core practices, Mm -hmm. uh, which I I very much appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you could do me the honors for this one. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the next cluster of episodes I'd like to lift up and highlight. It's a little bit shameful that I'm doing this this late in the show and I'm feeling slightly slurry. (laughs) Just slightly, Carmen? Yeah. Uh, So this is uh, to my teachers. Mm. So this is Johnny Gray, Mm -hmm. Judy G, and Sparrow Hart. Mm. These are people, um, I should say episodes 9, 13, and 22. Mm. Early in the podcast, Mm -hmm. actually. Mm these are people that I've worked with, studied with. Basically, I said, I admire and respect your work and I will pay whatever mm. <laughs> it takes to work with you. So I, uh, I was a client of Johnny's for a couple of years. I apprenticed with her in regression work. We traveled to France for our honeymoon because I wanted to work with Judy G. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we rented the house next door for a <laughs> month so I could walk to her house mm-hmm. and work with her. Oh, that was so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sparrow, I went into the desert and and I apprenticed with him. So I, I started working with him in, uh, I guess, 2007 mm-hmm. and apprenticed with him in 2017. So relationships that span, you know, a decade or more with Mm -hmm. these teachers and the uh, beverage that I would like to uh, honor them with Mm -hmm. is a shot of fireball because (laughs) working with them hurts so good. It always opens up. um, Yeah, you know, if, if any, if I, the work I did with Johnny in like, 2005 and six is still unfolding now and if anyone if i couldn't possibly have interpreted some of the journeys that i did with her as accurately then as i can now but basically what's spooky is like my whole life has been written basically in the (laughs) stars it's like my subconscious knew exactly what's going to happen and i couldn't even understand what was about to come and uh, the same with Judy you know she just we just did some well the work I did with Judy was she took the training wheels off my bike Mm. you know really helped me go no you're gonna move out into the world and 
uh, do intuitive work, freestyling <laughs> with no safety net. Mm. Uh, and with Sparrow, what's been really interesting there is, you know, he gave me such a thorough, um, a thorough tour of traditions, Western traditions, settler traditions of rites of passage um, in a form that is, um, how would I put it, that is, that follows and has been in some cases handed down from Native American traditions. Mm. But the courage that I needed with Sparrow was to kind of find my own way. Mm. And so he created the space for me to learn from him. But I also think, you know, was like, and now, <laughs> you know, like, so some people apprentice with him for years before they lead their own quests. I did one apprentice quest and was like, I'm doing my next one. I went to the mountain and asked, am I ready for this? I gave myself, you know, a sense of, it came to me while I was out there like, oh, this is the task. If you can accomplish this task at the end of these four days in the desert, then you can lead quests. And so he held space for me to figure it out for myself. Um, so in each case, it's been kind of scary, but also, uh, again, that biological sense of rightness in your body because you trust your teacher mm -hmm. so much. Even in the places where I'm like, you know, but I'm going to do it my own way or I'm going to diverge a little bit, but I feel their um, influence and their integrity like these are people that I, I mean, they're, they're each such strong survivors too in their own way. You know, I, when I did my apprenticeship with, ship with Johnny, her son Connor was there assisting her and he ended up uh, being killed in a motorcycle crash just uh, a couple of years later. And um, she basically channeled him mm. for years after that. They had such a strong bond. Hmm. And uh, I find that parenting relationship, you know, even beyond the physical body, really inspiring. Mm -hmm. You know, and Judy was like right in the shit when I was studying with her, um, with her partner. And her episode is all about sort of um, working in different ways with male and female energies. Hmm. Um, and uh and then sparrow's episode of course is on the vision quest which now is i mean the work that i'm most devoted to mm -hmm. in my life so to the teachers to the teachers sweet sip and cinnamon whiskey <laughs> delicious delicious so the next cocktail mm -hmm. is uh, is just some rum chata over ice. I wonder if you wouldn't mind dishing that up. I was wondering if I was going to be allowed to yell rum chata. So, episode seventy seven with Juliana Abalchok. Abalchok. Uh, I don't even know where to begin with that. I, I was kind of, I was shook mm. by that episode. So she's the forensic archaeologist mm -hmm. who, you know, I wanted to ask about um, Meso her, Mes her Mayan ancestry or mm. Mesoamerican um, 
lineage and some of her magical workings. And then when she was like, yeah, I did work on um, identifying bodies of people trying to, what's the word when you're trying to get in? Oh God, I have no words. Immigrate, you know, mm-hmm. they're trying to, they're crossing the desert on yeah. foot and they die in the desert trying to find a better life. And I just was like, I'm sorry, what can mm. you, I, I, I just never brought it home into such vivid uh, imagery mm-hmm. before. That was an intense episode for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm drinking rum chata, uh-huh. which is horchata and rum. <laughs> and we chose this because I we couldn't get any um, Mayan alcohol mm-hmm. up here. But this is made in the Yucatan, mm-hmm. which is that same area. So mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a creamy after dinner drink. Mm. I'm just having it over ice. You could have it in a cappuccino or a frappuccino or um, I'm sure there are things you could do with it, but it's a, it's, it's nice. It's a nice little sipper. Mm-hmm. And Juliana is a, uh, uh, she's like a, wow, again, filled with steel um, and just so kind of, relentless about uh helping you see Mm -hmm. (laughs) she is very devoted to helping settlers see what's happening and when she says settlers she's not saying white people Uh she's saying people whose ancestors are not indigenous to this land Mm -hmm. and so i think there's a bunch of people of color yeah. who think that they're not in that group yeah. and Giuliano sure lets them know yeah. <laughs> and, and that was a huge eye-opener mm-hmm. for me actually mm-hmm. was to have Giuliano say well the one challenge I'm having here with Black Lives Matter is that guess who's underneath that mm-hmm. is the water protectors yeah. and I and so intersectionality reaching different movements in different ways was like mm-hmm. oh oh right so um yeah that was very educational she was also the one that uh taught us that um in europe people would smudge with mugwort mm-hmm. instead of sage mm-hmm. and and again you know asked why am i the one telling you this yeah i know <laughs> again the exposure right like I feel both grateful and ashamed in this moment right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, mm-hmm. we have that. I have that a lot yeah. with uh, Juliana. And however, after she said that, you know, I looked out, we have a huge rosemary um, mm-hmm. bush, you can call it shrub. Mm-hmm. It's not just a plant right outside our uh, front door there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I bet you that's been used as smudge. And when you know totally mm-hmm. ancient totally common and so after that it was like oh yeah you use what's there mm-hmm. and uh yeah so i we use rosemary as a smudge pretty often there mm-hmm. was like one time when you were away and i needed to um trim the rosemary bush and so i had this huge it was almost like a besom like it was like a witch's broom mm-hmm. it was like really big <laughs> like huge swag of rosemary and I wanted to smudge our garden. Mm. And um, basically I had like, so I set alight a torch mm. of rosemary and the entire neighborhood, like it was just gray smoke everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I just was, you know, swishing it back and forth mm-hmm. all through the uh, garden up and down. Of course, the embers found the greenhouse. 
Oh, the greenhouse wasn't built then. Oh. Yeah, so this was a while ago, but uh, all inspired by Juliana. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm so like... We've had a lot of bubbles, <laughs> and now we're having creamy things. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a great night, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, uh, Juliana contains multitudes. Uh, and I, I think the... Um, so I just want to talk about rum chata a bit. <laughs> so the... Yeah, so rice was... So rice is uh, the base of horchata. Right. Which is like a cinnamon ricey gruel beverage. Uh, very economical too, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah, it's you like want a to make a great cup of rice for a <laughs> gallon of water or something like yeah, that. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, so rice was imported by the Spanish in the 1500s. So uh, even though horchata is sort of like a near national beverage in mm. many places, um, it is not indigenous. So right. the mezo, you know, the Juliana's people would have been drinking corn-based liquors. Right. Um, Which we tried to find up here. Yeah, you can't find that in the liquor store in, um, in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, rum, which is such, mm. a, uh, such a feature both of slavery, mm-hmm. uh, the slave trade in the Caribbean, and also then of empire, because it was the, like, the sustenance drink of the British, of the British uh, Navy. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. so so here we have oh, this, this rum like and horchata beverage uh, well I, I i think it's i think it's perfect because uh, juliana so beautifully just keeps peeling back the layers of the onion so that you cry each time you know to to be like and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking so mm-hmm. really um she yeah uh, again just an incredibly knowledgeable person that's that we love and respect yeah. dearly. Never met her. Facebook yeah. friend only. Mm-hmm. But when I say only, I mean who has impacted us greatly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so speaking of keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to our final beverage mm. in our countdown. And this is like in not in order of um, merit, mm-hmm. you know, or preference. Mm-hmm. But again, this is just like following... The uh, narrative arc of the alcohol. The <laughs> narrative arc of the alcohol. Uh-huh. So now we're going to end on something that is going to be both uh, strong mm-hmm. and light yeah. at the same time. Hmm. Uh, so I, I would like to honor our friend J.B. McKinnon, mm-hmm. James, uh, who was in one of the first early episodes, hmm. episode five. Wow. Nature, mind, and the mystical. Wow. I know. It's like quite a an honor actually looking back <laughs> that I asked James who's written one of Canada's bestsellers in like <laughs> yeah. popular literature yeah. The 100 Mile Diet co-authored with our friend and his partner Elisa uh, uh, Smith mm-hmm. um, hey James will you come on my podcast and like he's not a woo-woo type I'm like oh yeah it's all about intuition and the mysteries of life he's like um okay I think because you know, you guys have been friends for so many years. He said, yes, we've had some very good late night talks as the embers are going out. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, on that episode, I was like trying to push him, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so what's your spiritual life? Like, he's like basically nothing, but then he tells this great story. And it's one of my favorite stories of the podcast where his mom, who, who now is, you know, pretty much succumbing to dementia. She Mm -hmm. has, 
um, progressed enough now that she's in a full-time care home. Mm -hmm. But he'd wanted to take her back to like Prince Edward Island or Newfoundland. I think it was Newfoundland. Where was he? Cape Breton. Cape Breton. Mm -hmm. Going back to Eastern Canada and he really wanted his mom to see a puffin. Was, Was this in Cape Breton or was this in Iceland? Oh, maybe it was in Iceland. I, had, I didn't actually listen to all the episodes for this show. <laughs> yeah, maybe this was the trip to Iceland. Anyway, he did a couple of trips with her. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, in the Iceland trip, he really wanted to see a puffin. And it was like going on days and they hadn't seen a puffin. Mm. And so finally he was like, yeah. So then I basically said to the universe, please give us a puffin. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really? Because, I mean, that's the closest thing to him saying a prayer praying yeah, yeah. <laughs> ever and then what do you know there were like all these puffins mm-hmm. and he made this huge like look at the puffins <laughs> but his mom was so concerned about him freaking out that she didn't see any puffins because uh. he was like look at the anyway <laughs> so it's like this bitter sweet moment uh, the beverage that I would like to honor J.B. McKinnon with is called the Bonnie Prince Charlie. Huh. And uh, it has an ounce of Drambuie topped with champagne. Ooh. Ooh, uh, an ounce of Drambuie chopped, topped with Paul Roger. And so we have discovered, the reason we chose Drambuie is because... Um, Bonnie Prince Charlie was aided and abetted by the McKinnon clan to get over uh, after the Battle of Culloden to get over to the Isle of Skye. And uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie was so indebted to the clan McKinnon that he gave them the recipe for his uh, Scottish liqueur which is basically scotch and uh, heather honey and a bunch of other things. Herbs. Herbs and flowers and things like that. So Drambuie, uh, it says right on it that it's been, um, whatever, endowed. Yeah, sadly James does not get uh, like a yearly uh, stipend. Shipment. Yeah, exactly. Clan McKinnon Distillery. Yeah. So here we are, an ounce of Drambuie, topping it with Paul Roger. Say when, Carmen. Mm-hmm. That's good. When. Okay. And of course, when I think of Bonnie Prince Charlie, I think of the Skyboat song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a tasty way to drink champagne. <laughs> it's always tasty, but that's rich and honeyed. Oh, my. That has some real depth to it. Oh, my. Why would you drink a rusty nail when you can have a Bonnie Prince Charlie? Well. (laughs) You're like, but if you're a really hardcore Scotch fan. No, but also, yeah, it's a different experience. Like, this is is not earthy, right? This is light. Oh, but this is like honey uh-huh. and you really get the honeyed heather yeah. the heather honey notes out of this, this but is uh, but a rusty citrusy. nail uh, is burning in the earth it really is so, compared to this is... this is so refined and elegant it does have it is a perfect combination mm-hmm. of having a palate cleanser at the end of the night mm-hmm. or uh, a scotch a yeah. wee dram yeah it's uh it's delicious yeah uh, yeah you don't keep me around for my refinement and elegance that's for sure <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but you're very good at pouring what I tell you to pour. That's <laughs> really good. Yeah. James, he has another book coming out. Mm-hmm. He does. I, I don't know how soon it's coming out. Uh, in between that, of course, was The Once and Future World, which is mm. also just a... Uh, that kind of wrecked us, hey? Tragically beautiful, wonderful book. And he researched it for three years and would send me emails with periodic research updates, which were often hilarious, often heartbreaking, always mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. About little facts about uh, what animals can, can do, do. Yeah. and uh, how prolific they used to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, first contact, mm-hmm. you know, colonial perspectives of course you know that's what Mm -hmm. first quote unquote first contact is but um just these reports of the proliferation Mm -hmm. of sea life jungle life forest life Mm -hmm. plant life animal life it's just yeah and and just the crazy feet so if you think about like when when you think about a hummingbird and again he he told me so many it's been a few years so i may be getting my facts mixed up but when you think about a hummingbird you think about a tiny little creature that has to like refuel every five minutes at the sugar water feeder you know otherwise it just passes out from exhaustion hummingbirds fly across the gulf of mexico and are these the birds that turn off half their brains no that's the albatrosses because they will they will fly for months without landing oh my god and so they they switch off half their they sleep half their brain at a time (gasps) It's so magical. Well, and of course, we had this whole thing about why are there always lions depicted in Europe, Mm -hmm. right? And then he talks about because there were lions in so many parts of the world that you don't find. He doesn't talk about that. This is my personal theory after reading his book. He poo pooed, actually. Did he? He did poo poo. Okay, well, the other animals, though. Pretty stern poo poo. Really? (laughs) There were not lions everywhere. That was just banging colonial holdover. But he does talk about. mega mm-hmm. fauna yeah. being in different parts of the world that you would never imagine it mm-hmm. to be and um so yeah the 10 percent world that we are currently living in a 10 percent world so mm-hmm. even the most wild places mm-hmm. we've ever encountered or could imagine are 10 percent of the diversity and um you know quantity and intensity and all of this mm-hmm. stuff than mm-hmm. um than they used to be which we read, I read, on the plane to Europe to go mm-hmm. work with Judy. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we spent two months in Europe, which basically is a denuded landscape. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did we see? Like, I think we saw six mammals and at least one of them was dead. <laughs> That's so... right. We saw a dead badger on the side of the road and we were all so excited. We mm-hmm. pulled over and like you know, touched it yeah, regarded stuff. it. But yeah. not even things like squirrels. Like when I say six mammals, we saw yeah. six mammals yeah. in two months. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas here, yeah, we'll see, you know, six squirrels a day. Oh my uh, God, easily. Jesus Christ, those things are always yeah. digging in my garden. Anyway, love yeah. the squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, a terribly, terribly denuded landscape. His episode though, was so much about how he manages uh, his his humanity, mm-hmm. you know, anxiety and stuff like that. We talked about climbing, mm-hmm. getting into meditative states while in nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a really, it was a really good episode. Yeah, I've done a lot of episodes now. You have, including this one. Now it will be one hundred. 
And for our 50th episode, we did Badass Backyard Spirituality, which I'm going to tell you actually had a lot of votes mm-hmm. for the uh, favorites. Mm-hmm. The other ones were my speeches. I kind of feel like those are gimmies. I'm not going to say that they get to be in this top, you know, 100th episode retrospective. But um, shout out to you, Ruben Anderson, for supporting oh. your woman all this time uh-huh. through. Because uh, there's been a lot of times when you had to sort of shut up and put up because I was recording an important episode and everybody had to be silent in the house. So yes. Thank you, my yes, long-suffering husband. It seems incredible that 50 episodes have passed since that time. That doesn't seem that long ago that we recorded that uh... Well, it's like two years, I guess. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Time flies. Mm-hmm. So um, that pretty much wraps it up. A couple of things, though. Mm-hmm. If people want to hang out with us, I we don't I don't get all red cheeked and sloppy like this when I'm leading uh, retreats. Almost never do you get so red cheeked and sloppy as you are now. <laughs> Almost <laughs> never. It's so true. I'm a little tired. It's been a Except for, episodes. well, I think you were just on Saturday, which was only a few days ago. Yeah, actually, what that episode was, was Jesse Hemphill? Yeah, Jesse has also been on the Numinous mm. podcast, and we were hanging out on Saturday. And uh, you and I and she and her man, we were singing songs and drinking wine. We got mm-hmm. into some fun yeah. that night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my point was, uh, if people want to come on Quest with us, mm-hmm. they should let us know soon. Because mm-hmm. it's happening in June. Yes. Very soon. They should let us know. Definitely before June, if they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they want to, if you want to go onto my website to get all the information mm-hmm. or to place an episode, my website is carmenspaniola.com. C A R M E N S P A G N O L A. And we also mentioned a couple times that we're leading Apocalypse Camp. That is not what it's called. <laughs> that was just kind of a joke. That's what Jesse's calling it. Jesse's coming. Uh, oh, and someone else is coming. And there will be other folks there. It's on Cortez Island uh, at Hollyhock Lifelong Learning Center. Mm-hmm. And it's all about... Well, you know, if you like the JMG episodes and you like the Nicole Foss or Charlene Spretnak, or Carolyn Baker, or James McKinnon, <laughs> or Juliana, or <laughs> Tiffany. If you like any of these episodes, you should probably come to camp with us. Because mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about how to be together and stay regulated and grounded and work together well mm-hmm. um, while we face a future that is uh, perpetually chaotic and uncertain. And I'm hoping there will be sauerkraut. Yeah, we're going to make sauerkraut. It's a retreat for people who are preppers, who think maybe they could, they should look a little bit more at the spiritual aspect of it, you know, and and the Mm -hmm. interpersonal, how to kind of heal their own wounds of community Mm -hmm. so that they can function better at the communal level Mm -hmm. through these converging emergencies societally and globally mm-hmm. and it's for people who are spiritual who really like you know ritual and embodied practice and you know kind of druidry and earth-based witchy pagan stuff uh but quite frankly have been bypassing this whole climate change mm-hmm. <laughs> you know needing to face um a future of permanent mm-hmm. whitewater uh, it's, it's, it can kind of be for those camps. It's not a couple's workshop, but I will say this, you're probably going to see us 
have to co-regulate in- interactively <laughs> as we do our first co-led retreat. Let's hope that goes well. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say that I think um, people who are preppers is the wrong characterization because we garden a lot, but we do very little to stockpile beans and bullets. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I think it's much more for people who are trying to re-village you know that when you look at the world and you look at uh, the converging emergencies as as carolyn baker would say uh if the conclusion you come to is re-villaging mm-hmm. then this then is the people. workshop for you you should hang out with us because mm-hmm. we're going to practice re-villaging and also teach you some skills mm-hmm. so some of my uh somatic trauma uh, resolution stuff is going to come in handy. Mm-hmm. A lot of your be- behavior change research stuff mm-hmm. is going to come in handy. And of course, your sauerkraut making skills mm-hmm. and canning skills. We very yeah. much believe in uh, bonding through doing and that the basic unit of the human um, experience experience is the meal. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to do a lot of orienting towards what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, you can find out all about that on my site too. Who should we thank? I want, you know, God, I want to thank the hardcore listeners. <laughs> there are some hardcore listeners, Stephanie, Dilshad. I mean, there are people who come to mind, Phyllis. There are people mm. who come to mind who have listened, you know, Maxine, to a record number <laughs> <laughs> of uh, Numinous Podcast episodes, mm. April. And like, yeah. And I'm feeling pretty misty about it. Uh-huh. I want to thank the people of my land. So I have a tree out back. I have a tree. There is a tree out back that I refer to as my ancestor. And I refer to this tree by the name of my ancestor. This is the place where I <clears throat> leave offerings and uh, prayer ribbons and the first tree I've ever really truly hugged. <laughs> and uh, I spent a lot of time there. So I feel really, really well supported and very well received in this land. So I would like to thank the ancestors and spirits of this land mm-hmm. for supporting me in all the work that has happened mm-hmm. in four years of the podcast. <clears throat> Which, for those who aren't from around here, is the Lekongan speaking peoples, the Songhees and Esquimalt nations. That's right. On whose land we live. That's right. For which we are very grateful. Yeah. Very grateful. Thank you, husband. It's been a slice. (laughs) It has. Here's the next however many. That's right. Bottoms up. (laughs)